Today's episode of The Doctor's Companion is brought to you by InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. Welcome to another episode of The Doctor's Companion. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Matt Smith, but not that Matt Smith. And today, we're going to be discussing the Christopher Eccleston, Russell T. Davies era episode, The Long Game. Uh, yeah. And, but before we do that, I want to remind everybody, we're from the website GeekShowEntertainment.com. We like geeky stuff over there. Occasionally, we talk about geeky stuff, like Doctor Who on podcasts, like the one you're listening to right now. Geek Show Entertainment happens to be a podcast network that has new episodes released every week for shows that include The Doctor's Companion, as well as Movie Night at Geek Show, Have You Met Ted, and Super Geeks. You can listen to those podcasts by streaming them on the website or subscribing to the shows on iTunes. Also, go to the website, join our community, and comment on episodes, articles, and audio blogs that we regularly post on the site. And if you've listened to any of our shows and you like what you hear, even if you don't, help us out by leaving an iTunes review. iTunes reviews are the best way for people to find our shows and decide if they might be worth listening to. You can also let us know how we're doing with comments, concerns, and suggestions by emailing the show at tdc at geekshow.us. Alright, so uh, we are... We are talking about the long game, uh, Matt. What do we have in the in the realm of background and significance for this one? Um, well, it was designed as a cheap story, that's for sure. Um, or at least initially, it was designed as a cheap story. Mm-hmm. It's uh, written by Russell T. Davies because um, <laughs> I don't know if people know this or just remember it vaguely, but Davies wrote something like eight episodes in the first season he wrote the first two this then another two and then th- four more after that so he wrote like eight episodes in the first season which is- i i always forget that it's ridiculous it's it's bonkers yeah. um <laughs> uh so so he wrote this one it, it comes smack dab in the middle of the season um and it's designed to do a couple of things it's the <laughs> first proper and last proper adventure of adam mitchell who is a failed companion um, it's which also... is an interesting concept that isn't really ever done again, before right. or since, really, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll talk about that. We'll talk okay. about that. Um, uh, so it's the first and last. Well, not the first because he appeared in Dalek, um, but it's the last appearance of him. Uh, it's also got some Simon Pegg, which is pretty exciting, and in a lot of ways, it sets up stuff that happens later in the season, which we'll be talking about probably at least a little bit. Um, so if you haven't seen the rest of season one. We Why are you even listening to the show? Honestly, <laughs> I know. Just go finish it. I mean, <laughs> pretty damn good. You're uh, you're about six years late. Six years. Yeah, I, you have no excuse. Just, yeah, just finish. Just go finish. It's on Netflix. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not that hard. Um, the rules on spoilers for television really only last until they six air. months. No, I don't six even months. think they air. I don't even think six months. Movies are like six months to a year. But but mm-hmm. but TV shows, I, no, six months is way too. That's that's too long. It's because you maybe two it, weeks. If you have, yeah, two weeks. There you go. That's good. Because if you have the means to watch it, as far as I'm concerned, if you have the means to watch it and you don't, that's not anybody's fault. That's your fault. Yeah. If you, if you don't make it out to see a movie, <laughs> that might not necessarily be your fault. I wonder why you're mentioning this today, huh? I wonder. <laughs> Has <laughs> has nothing to do with either of us, actually. No, but no, nothing, nothing to do with me getting in a giant Twitter fight. Anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's 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 one of those things where it's like, look, if you have it, you have the means. Just go do it. It doesn't take that long, and you watch plenty of other stuff. So right, just take some time. Yeah. Just take some time. Exactly. If you want to avoid spoilers, watch it. Anyway, uh. <laughs> 
I, I don't yeah, I I don't I have no sympathy for people who wait for the DVD. That's that's not my problem. Um no, no. just just watch the freaking thing. Uh so anyway, um yeah, is that is that it for background significance? I mean, um it's well, one more thing I suppose. It's directed by a guy named Brian Grant who I don't recognize, so I don't think he directed anything else. That's the weird thing about um Doctor Who season 1 is or the series 1 is it just has all these weird directors who you never see again. Mm-hmm. Um, which gives which, season which, one a really unique look. Yes, yes. Well, I love this season. I do too. And I know we're getting we're getting away from we're getting into discussion ready, but this season is probably the most underrated season of Doctor Who ever. Uh-huh. Um, just in terms of awesome, because this is just great. I agree, a hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. So that's. That's really it. And it's got Simon Pegg. Especially so, – season one is especially underrated considering everyone way overrates season two. Sure. People yeah. go on and on about se- – the show gets really good in season two. No, it doesn't. David Tennant joins, but the show is not better in season two. It's worse. Yeah. <laughs> Try <no>. rewatching <laughs> some of those episodes. Yikes. Yeah, um, it's It's really uneven. This season, like – Minus like a few stumbling points, which are all pretty watchable. It's incredible. Yeah, totally underrated. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, all right, so I've got a lot to say about this episode. Uh, before we do that, I want to remind everybody that we're sponsored by InStockTrades.com. This month at InStockTrades.com, uh, you can purchase our book of the month, Fell, Volume One, Feral City by Warren Ellis and Ben Temple Smith. And you can get that for $9.29, which is 38% off the suggested retail price of $14.99. Remember, all orders over $50 get free shipping. So thanks to InStockTrades.com. All right, so uh, I've got a lot to say about this episode. Um, first of all, this episode for me has always been an episode that I I generally skip because I, I'm whenever I'm rewatching this season – not because it's bad, but because I've always thought it was bland. Like I just, mm-hmm. I was just like, there's nothing, nothing stands out about this episode to me. It's the most forgettable of the season. It, like I won't even oh, deny that. Oh, it is. But here's the thing: watching it out of order, just randomly, awesome. I love this episode. <laughs> it works so much better on its own. As like its own like little random adventure than it does over the course of the season. Because in the season, there's so much good. Because mm-hmm. um, I mean, throughout the season, this episode is definitely a low point. Uh, the only yes. episode, oh, oh, the only episode that's lower than this, I would say, is is would be episode three, um, the Unquiet Dead, which is not good. Uh, <laughs> no matter where you watch it. Uh, <laughs> Well, we'll find out, I think. We'll find out. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, But this episode – okay, the problem with this episode in the course of the season, it's between Dalek and Father's Day, Mm -hmm. which are two phenomenal episodes in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Oh, oh, agreed. Yeah. And I mean you've you've got – in in Dalek, you have tons of pathos for the Doctor. In Father's Day, you have tons of pathos for Rose – and then this episode is wedged in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. And I can imagine that Russell T. Davies wrote it almost because nobody else wanted it. <laughs> um, sure. I, because that seems like a thing that Russell T. Davies would do. Uh, mm-hmm. This is – this episode's really solid. Really it is. solid. Like it's got great like comedic beats to it. It's it's like that monster is like the monster is genuinely creepy. Simon Pegg, Simon Pegg, as far as I'm concerned, Simon Pegg could almost be like an incarnation of the master in this. Uh, yeah. The way that he's pulling the strings in this episode, um, mm-hmm. very reminiscent to 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 uh, Gooey Master in um, the Keepers of Traken. Uh Sure. Yeah, and so like. I, I just – man, there's so much to love about this episode watching it on its own. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun. Absolutely agreed. And honestly, I actually – I was watching this with um, one of my roommates who hadn't seen it before 
who is slowly working her way through season one. She had just she saw Dalek a couple weeks ago and just never got around to watching the next one. So I was like, come on, sit down. And I was like really kind of concerned because this is one, again, super forgettable, especially considering that after this is Father's Day and after that is uh, Empty Child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Dr. the Doctor Dance. Yeah, it's yeah, this which is ridiculous. Is, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this episode is entirely overshadowed by the fact that they use the same sets and setting for the season finale. Mm-hmm. Um but in that, I actually turned to my girlfriend halfway through the episode, and I was like, you know what this reminds me of? And this is I know this isn't going to make sense to you, um, but I'll explain it in a minute. It reminds me of a, a Hartnell story called The Ark, which is um, – it, it comes in Hartnell's third season. And The Ark is a very weird story because the first two episodes of The Ark are a setup about the Doctor landing on this ship that's traveling across space – um, you know, kind of like the Ark in space, but it's an Ark. You know, it's like a big ship. Um, because humanity's flying across the across the cosmos, and the Doctor shows up. In the first two episodes, he solves this um, uh, crisis um about uh, uh what's it called? Like a disease or something. And then at the end of episode two, the Doctor, Stephen, and Dodo get in the TARDIS and take off. <laughs> And they just leave, and at, and then they arrive back on the ship. But they arrive on the ship something like ten thousand years later, and have to deal with a new problem that arose because they were there in the first place. And in a lot of ways, like that's what this reminds me of because it's so weird to see Doctor Who do something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. I especially with the with the hindsight of knowing that the Jagerfest is just a puppet for the Daleks. Spoilers. Um, is it's it it makes it almost work even more because you know the doctor even in the episode he says something along the lines of um I leave I don't like to clean up because it gets messy and I don't like getting involved but like if the doctor had stayed and figured out what was going on maybe the events of parting of the ways wouldn't have happened mm-hmm. as bad as it did um and maybe that would have changed but like you know because he does that and kind of screws it up he has to deal with that I just I love that in retrospect it damn mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and this is this actually uh, this was something like I texted you earlier, and I was like, "There's, there's something I've noticed now about Davies era, about the Davies era, um, that I wanted to bring up uh, because of this episode." Uh, one thing, okay, we we like we've been watching um, we've been watching like a lot of Hitchcock lately because of our other podcast, Movie Night Geek Show. Uh, and it's it's Hitchcock that month this month on that podcast, and um, we've been noticing ha- watching all these Hitchcock movies in a row. We've been noticing a lot of themes coming up that are mm-hmm. that are like quintessentially Hitchcock things that he puts into all of his films. You know, like he he really likes cars, he really likes blondes, he really likes um, voyeurism. Voyeurism, murder. yeah, yeah, exactly. So he, he has all these themes that he's always playing around with. I've realized that Davies favorite theme is playing with people being sheep. Sure. That's like his number one go-to thing. Sure. He apparently finds people being sheep really creepy. Uh, That is creepy. Yeah, well, it is. But like that's just – that seems to be a thing that he does. Like he's – constantly playing around with the idea of people being sheep and doing things just because everyone else is doing them and paying the price for it. That comes up so often in his stories. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you see all of these people being sheep all the time in his stuff. Like it's just, it's really interesting. If you go back and you look at his, his stuff, it, you know, it's like we, I've always talk about classic who and how classic who, if you take all of Classic Who and you take out all of the stories in which there's a war going on and the Doctor and his companions get stuck in the middle and check out both sides and realize that they both have their – have their, uh, their – I guess – Pros and cons. Yeah, yeah. Their pros and cons. Exactly. Um, you would basically lose like over half of all Doctor Who stories. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's, there's always a war. <laughs> yeah. There's always a war always going a war. on. Um, and And like – that's that's the thing that I realized about Davies. If you take out all of the stories that have to do with people being sheep, the Davies era loses over half its stories. It's yeah. it's ridiculous, and and it was just it was just a funny thing that I finally realized watching this. Um, mm-hmm. And he's fascinated by people in power and 
what people in power do and how they're corrupting as an influence all of society, which I which I really appreciate as well. Yeah. I mean yeah. and that those two themes go hand in hand. And I know that one person I was listening to this podcast one time, one person complained that he does that. I'm like without getting too political, in this day and age, at least someone is talking about it and on a super popular show. Um mm-hmm. so thanks for that. And I mean it's not I mean, that theme is not is something that I think people completely overlook, especially considering that, um, you know, people always, when I first started looking into Doctor Who and what people were saying about it, when I really got into it, um, people were like, Oh, the Davies era has really not made any sort of commentary on society. And then I, (laughs) I watched this episode and I was like, well, before that I was like, you know what? You're right. Like, like last, last of the time Lords didn't really say anything about society and what is all this and journey's end didn't do this. And Oh my God, science fiction, science fiction. And then I went and watched this again. And I was like, that person was drunk because (laughs) this episode is nothing but like straight thematic message of journalism and the dissemination of information and, and, Mm -hmm. and all this sort of stuff. That's so fascinating. Like for God's sake, one of the main characters in this story, and even a companion in this story, gets a implant that allows them to have information filter right through them. Like, and that's something that's going to happen one day. Like, if that doesn't happen, I'll probably—I don't know—I'll probably be dead by that point. But um, that's going to happen, and like, that's a totally prophetic thing that he's dealing with. I mean, he's not the first to do it, but that discussion is there, mm-hmm. and. It's just, it's, it's insane. Like I love, and I love that story. I've always kind of had a soft spot in my heart for this story ever since I realized that because I think the message is really good. It's a really strong outing that, I mean, the message is very overstated, but it never feels ham handed. Um, and it has kind of an uplifting ending. And I just, I love that. This story is just awesome. It's such a strong, strong outing. It really Um, is. It really mm-hmm. is. It's just unfortunate. Its placement is very unfortunate. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. And it's like halfway through the season, like literally it's the midpoint and it doesn't really, I mean, it, it does a lot of important things for, you know, the finale, but it doesn't seem to do them. And because of that, it just gets lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Um, and so then just... in retrospect, it just feels like a prologue, which almost makes it feel less important somehow. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, just not a good placement for this. It, it's unfortunate that this episode yeah. gets, and and I'm 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 definitely guilty of doing it. So that, no, that's fine. I mean, it, it's not just you. It's like everyone because in the great scheme of season one, this is the forgotten story. Oh yeah, because it's not it's not hated, um, but it's not loved by really anyone, which is. Such a damn shame. Then again, the quality on this season is absurd. Yeah. Um, yeah. But oh, you know what? Great. You know what? I always forget, not because they're forgettable, because they're too memorable. Um, I always forget about Aliens in London and how much I hate that two-parter. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really enjoy Aliens in London a lot. Yeah, I, I, I know you do. But there's something about farting aliens that just does not settle well with me. On no, that's Who. fine. He's doing that for the kids. That's not, that's not for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad that uh-huh. he 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 knew that and was like, I'm going to make a kids show and put the farting aliens on that show because that's mm-hmm. where they belong. They that is where they belong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's fine. Uh, we should probably talk about the doctor or something. Oh yeah, so that Eccleston guy, he's good. <laughs> yeah, he's got a bright future ahead of him. Yeah, yeah. How long is he the doctor for? He's great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, about another six episodes. Oh God, what a waste! Such a damn shame. Yeah, but it's really unfortunate that Eccleston didn't get along with everyone on the Doctor Who team. Totally to the point where he like swore off of him forever. Yeah, I mean, but if you look, I think I much as I hate the fact that he only got one season. Like I didn't mind it at the time because I was so impatient to get to David Tennant. Um. As much as I didn't mind him leaving at the time, there's something about the fact that he only has these 13 episodes that every time I watch them, I am raptured on every moment and line and delivery that he has to give because I know that it's one of very few. Um, and I, oh gosh, it makes me just love every second of him that's on screen. Mm-hmm. And it makes me sad that he's not in every goddamn scene <laughs> because I, he's so excellent as a doctor. Just 
such a memorable, memorable performance mm-hmm. across the board. And so like, different. He's does. unlike any other doctor. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. that's what makes him so interesting because he created his own character. He didn't pool from any other doctors. You know, David Tennant did his own thing but was pooling from other doctors. You know, like he pooled a lot of his personality from Tom Baker and, and, and Peter Davison. Davison. Like he combined those two to make his doctor plus like mm-hmm. his own idiosms. Um, but like Christopher Eccleston is just wholly his own character. And mm-hmm. it's it's man, it's it's fascinating. Well, the thing I actually uh, speaking on that, like one of the things that I notice is while he's doing that, and I don't know how if this makes me sound like a pretentious douche or something, but for some reason, when I go to the new stuff now, especially after seeing almost all of classic series by this point. I'm finally starting to see the actors not as themselves, but as the Doctor. Um, not as their Doctor, per se, but as the Doctor, as he exists as an entity. Um, you know, transubstantiating a physical persona that he has done through regeneration or whatever the heck time... The, key, the Doctor to. as a whole. Yeah, like the Doctor, not the The, the doctor, doctor as a concept, yes. Yeah. And there's a scene, like, in... um. Uh, it's when he's talking to the black chicken. I forget her name. I'm sorry. The journalist. Um, the journalist. When he's talking to the, the, the journalist in this, there's a part where he um, is talking. Like, I think it's it's when he's talking to them and also when they're just in the room watching the information transfer. Um, that's the kind of like the big set piece in this. That's not the big action set piece. Um I just became aware of him as a doctor and it was such an out of like just a, such a surrealist experience where I was like not only is he doing a great job of being a unique doctor but his own personal take on the doctor really colors the character in a completely new fresh way in ways that other actors kind of don't. I mean we both love Matt Smith but I can't say that he's doing anything in the part that really shades my understanding of the doctor gives him a new dimension that's Mm -hmm. not a slam on his performance it's just you know it's not what he's doing but Eggleston as a performer every time I watch it he's just doing such a completely different shake on the character and you know you could argue that that's him doing a bad impersonation or not impersonation but a bad interpretation of the doctor I mean you could argue that but at the end of the day you have to just assume that it's canon in the way that everything has to be canon even all the boom mics and frame and like I love that him acting this way, which is so atypical for doctors while still being pretty typical is it just colors his persona in a new way. And I love that about him. It's so unique and special while still being faithful to the role. I don't know how he did that. Um, I guess it just means he's a really good actor, but um, I just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy, but that's just something I noticed, and I just – I love that about him, and it makes me really want more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean I I really, really want – really want him to do Big Finish audios. Yeah, um, in a couple decades. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just – it's so heartbreaking because I want more Eccleston so bad. Like can yeah. you – like we're like we're both excited – you know, relatively excited about the about the new Tom Baker stuff. But could you even imagine if they announced that they had Christopher Eccleston coming? Oh, I would lose my mind. Yeah, like I don't even I would... I, I wouldn't even be able to function until they came out. No. Like, yeah, <laughs> just be paralyzed on the bed. Yeah, unable to wake up. <laughs> It'd be like some kind of twisted big finish fairy tale. Uh, oh gosh, that'd be great. And then like, what? Because oh man, and th- but that gets my gears going. Because once you start doing modern doctors, then you can just do doctor crossovers in ways that you couldn't on television. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Watch, <laughs> just watching Eccleston hang out with Colin Baker would be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want that to happen uh, so bad. Yeah, so bad. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But. I don't know. I think that, and and it's unfortunate because you know Eccleston is the forgotten Doctor. Like, because you know he comes right after, right, right before Tennant, and everyone loves Tennant. I mean, I love Tennant, but it's it's unfortunate because you know 
people, I don't think people go back and revisit season one enough. Like in general, no one does, and it's also not 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 for nothing, not for nothing. But uh, uh, Rose really hot in season one. Yeah, not so yeah. much in subsequent seasons, but in season one, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's something raw about her that I really like. You know what I mean? Yeah, in like, season one, yeah, with her longer hair and everything, like it's just mm-hmm. she looks more average. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is better. Yeah, and makes sense for her character. Yeah. And I like... I I really love Rose in season one. I think yeah. she's such a strong character here. Like, more so than later. Like, I mean, like I've always said, she makes a better Eccleston companion than she ever did a tenant. Yeah. No, I, I see that. The more I watch of her with Eccleston. Because, like, like, you can tell she's into him, and that's not bad. And I like that they're kind of growing together, but it's still so platonic. Mm-hmm. Um, like, just the line where he goes... <laughs> Where Adam Mitchell just collapses, and they're at, right before the teaser, right before the credits, at the end of the teaser, and he just goes, "He's your boyfriend," and she's like, "No, he's not. It's just, it's such a, it's such a, such a fun, playful performance that is totally underrated mm-hmm. in every sense of the word. Like they have such good chemistry, and it, they just work. So you know what, uh, Eccleston and and Piper, their chemistry." Reminds me very much, very much, of uh, of uh, Tennant and Tate. Later, yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. the kind of relationship they have, and it's mm-hmm. it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And those are the best relationships. Like if you look at them, like mm-hmm. it's always something of equals and peers, but also like he he's teaching her and showing her the world. It's it's you know it's a lot similar to. Um, uh, seventh ace as well just in terms of their rapport and their playfulness but because he's he's coaching her but also they're equals in a lot of ways it's just those are the best relationships ever always ever uh, only is so and, cool <laughs> he is like i keep I, I also i also realized at a certain point because you know you just kind of take the doctor's outfit for granted once every so often i was just like that jacket is so awesome <laughs> It's so it's such a good choice. Whoever made that choice needs to get a Doctor Who medal because <laughs> I love that jacket. I mean, I've I've long said my least favorite thing of Father's Day, which is like the only thing I don't like about Father's Day, is the part where he takes off his jacket and you're just like, dude, keep the jacket on. You're okay. You're fine. <laughs> because it doesn't look because he's just wearing like a V neck long sleeve shirt and it doesn't look very good, but that jacket is so pimp. It's just, oh, man, it's great. Yeah. It's just great. And generally, the Doctor looks better in layers. Generally. Oh, I mean, when he's not in layers, it looks awful. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's why, I mean, I don't know if you anyone really re- realizes it, but Colin Baker had a waistcoat. Uh. And that waistcoat was awesome. <laughs> oh, the Doctor needs to be wearing so many layers. Yeah. Hey. It needs to be bundled up for winter. I mean, you know, Tom Baker did it. And then he didn't, and his aus- and his costume was not as good. No, not as good. No, once he stopped doing <laughs> layers, huh? Not good. It just looks so lazy. Yeah, he looked better yeah. when he was being a hobo. Oh man, that was the best. Just, when it just looked like he raided a goodwill. That's yeah. That's Tom Baker at his best. <laughs> yeah, his that outfit. Like if you anything from his first three seasons, if you're if you're curious what I'm talking about or what we're talking about, his outfit is literally like slack suspenders, um, a dr- button down dress shirt, a tie, a waistcoat, a a overcoat, like a big long overcoat, scarf, and a pocket watch and a hat. Like and and you're and, and sh- you're missing and you're missing the smoking jacket because he wears this. Oh, and the sm- yeah, it's the smoking the jacket, smoking. then the long overcoat, then the scarf, and yeah, mm-hmm. and the hat. And I understand why he stopped doing that because that mu- he must have been roasting. Yeah, but whoo, it just like I remember the first time I noticed it was I think I was watching Hand of Fear and he just walks out and he has the waistcoat and the and I don't think he was even wearing the coats at that point like he just had the waistcoat and the shirt because um, he's on in a quarry and the quarry's about to explode and I was just like damn it he looks good mm-hmm. like he just looks so so good and when you remove the layers it's it's not as pretty it's not as pretty sure. like 
even even Tenet in um, Runaway Bride when he takes off his jacket and gives it to Donna, it's not, and he's just in the shirt. It's like mm, should have left the jacket on. Yeah, should have left the jacket on. Um, let's talk about Adam Mitchell. Um, oh, because I think okay, I think he's someone we probably should discuss. Okay, um, I I love the concept of I I like Adam Mitchell as a character. Not like like I really like that guy. I want to hang out with him. Well, no, obviously not. He's a douche. But <laughs> I like what he represents on the show, like as an expelled companion, like. Mm-hmm. The idea that the doctor doesn't just take anyone. If you screw up bad enough, he's done with you. Yeah. And yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And that's that was apparently – I was just reading up about this before we started. But um, that was the Davies conception. And in terms of that, talk about just succeeding with flying colors because he is such an a-hole in this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he literally almost gets everyone killed. He, and at the end he's like he spends the whole episode like trying and continuously failing to have a get rich quick scheme. Mhm. I mean that's that's what he's trying to do the whole episode. That's all he does. Yeah. It's kind of messed up. And it's just like yeah. your first opportunity. Your very <laughs> first opportunity. And this is what you do with it. And that's that's kind of awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it's... Because that's that 90%. Like, that's the thing. It's like, the, it, it just shows you why the Doctor chooses the people that he does to become mm-hmm. his companion. He doesn't just pick anybody. He picks someone special yeah. because he doesn't want people like Adam. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to pollute the timeline. No one wants to. Yeah. And... It's just – it's a great – it's just well-written. It's a great performance by – oh, gosh, what's his name? I don't even know because uh, – Bruno Langley because um, mm-hmm. it's a totally thankless role. But I think he does it really well and he's pretty funny in the way that like he's the straight man for the whole episode. But he does a great job like when he um, when he spits out the vomit ice cube. Oh, yeah. Um... <laughs> also, that vomit ice cube was a little too realistic. Not gonna lie. Yeah. I don't, also, I didn't did he eat poppy it. seeds? Is that <laughs> was that like a poppy seed bagel that he'd eaten? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. It had black spots. Um, he might need to go to a doctor. I'm. <laughs> it's possible <laughs> that he might need to go to a doctor. Uh, also, I I I I wish that at some point they had thrown in a joke about. This Adam Mitchell guy, like in the background, like just a background joke, like somebody mentioning something about like, I mean, come on, like they set up the joke that it's not just him snapping, it's anybody snapping. And so like, how is this guy even going to survive in life? (laughs) I think he's just going to be, you know, working from home for the rest of his life. Yeah, I guess so. You'd have to. That's it. Yeah. And like, he'd have to mooch off his parents. And his mom probably won't be too pleased. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That poor guy. Then again, totally deserves it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Was... <laughs> sure. <laughs> wow. Wow. But um, I just – I uh, that that last joke is pretty funny. It is. I mean it's, it's, it's not like laugh out loud, but I'm just like, hey, Russell T. Davies. And that's the thing. Like I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm, I'm not – I'm trying not to wail on the Moffat era. But like – for some reason, I find the cheek um, of the Russell T. Davies era much more enticing than I do the humor anywhere else, um, because it's very smart um, and very British. And I remember when I was watching it for the first time, like I was struck by the humor, and I always thought of it as very funny. And maybe it's because... I don't know. I, I also recently realized that Moffat is writing a very traditional comedy um, in the sense that, you know, especially if you go back to something like Shakespeare to the birth of a genre as it was comedy. Tragedy would always end with everyone dying and um, comedy always ends in a wedding every time. Um, so if you look at it like Moffat's been writing comedies, uh, if you look at each season that he's overseen, um, but and maybe it's because Davies was so interested in tragedy and drama, but it makes I don't know I I find what Davies does here so funny and so original. Every line of dialogue is so packed with meaning and great words and jokes and humor, and 
intelligent ideas that I just I'm struck by it every time. This episode probably more than any other because this is the one that really allows, um, the, you know, for a lot of discussion of the future and what happened and you know what society's like in ways that End of the World is just like a fun adventure on a space station. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I just I like that for some reason. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy again. No. But, uh, not. Although, you yeah. know, something else I find funny now that you mentioned End of the World, there are four episodes that take place on space stations. Yeah. In this yeah. season. <laughs> I don't know if you ever I don't know if you ever noticed, but one of the big complaints about this season is that the doctor and his companion never leave Earth. Oh. Which I don't I don't care. No. I mean Well that's and that's, my... that's a general complaint about the Davies era, though. Sure, but I don't, I don't care. I mean, if you look at it from a character standpoint, there's a reason the Doctor's hanging around Earth, and it's not. I mean, you could say that it's a production thing, but if you go the we have to explain everything route, it's just that the Doctor's so hurt and scarred by the Time War that he needs a reminder about why he's doing this, and humanity as his favorite pet species is the way that he reminds himself of that, and so he never leaves. And I like that Eccleston as a Doctor never leaves earth there's something kind of really unique about that and i just, i don't know there's something about that and to all those people who complain that there's too much doctor on earth i would like to remind everyone that um the hinchcliffe holmes era which by the way possibly the best doctor who era of all time uh they left earth ha- half of their episodes took place on earth half of them so everyone needs to chill out a bit and appreciate what you have, because so much of that era took place on Earth, and people can deal with it. So, ha, yeah, <laughs> that. <laughs> um. Uh, but yeah, but this yeah. this episode, um, this episode gets a bad rap. Uh, you know what? This isn't the most forgettable episode of the season. I realize because I can tell. Yes, Boomtown is the completely forgettable episode of the season. I, I never know. remember that episode exists. <laughs> I never remember that it exists. Maybe maybe you'll like it more when we get around to it eventually in this. I don't even know when we're doing Boomtown. Yeah, but I know. I love Boomtown. Yeah, like, that's what legit you say. I love that episode. No, I every time I watch it, I'm just like, this is a good episode. Not the best of the season, not by a long slot. And it's, you know, it's between the Moffat two-parter and the Davies finale, so it's screwed like this episode is. And, but and Dalek, that is, for that matter, because Dalek is... Yeah. Whoo! <laughs> no, Dalek is That's the best episode of this season. Yeah. Like, <laughs> pretty much. Like, I can't even argue that. Um, Robert Sherman needs to write my life. But, um... Does he? Uh, would you really want that? <laughs> oh, I would die in the first five minutes. I don't even. I don't even have any like qualms about that. That's what would happen. <laughs> um, but uh, I just I love Robert Sherman. Um, but I don't know Boomtown. I love Boomtown. I think it's just such a good little small character piece in between two giant stories. And it was designed like it was written that way, it was designed that way and I love that. Yeah, that's I what you that. say. That's what you always say. Uh, that's why you really like Midnight too. Um Oh god, I love Midnight. Do you not love Midnight? I don't love it, no. Wow. Wow, we can't be friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't I don't love it. It's it's fine. It's creepy, but I don't I don't love it. Uh, oh, that's not why I love that's not why I love Midnight. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll revisit them and love them, just like this one. Oh, God. I don't know. Anyway. Midnight is incredible. Midnight is incredible. You're insane. Yeah, incredible seems um overzealous. No. Yeah, it does. No. It really seems overzealous. No. <laughs> I will stand by Midnight to the Grave. I think you just like it cuz it's a bottle episode. That is part of the reason. Yeah. But it is it is an it is a fascinating character study. I I feel want. like I've seen it done before and better several times before. The same story. Uh, maybe. And that's that's maybe. my problem with it. 
Um, maybe you should read the script. Maybe I should. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah. So the long game. I I highly recommend. Also, Simon Pegg is awesome in this. He really is. He's so he's so sinister and maniacal, but really playful. Yeah, and in the best of he's ways. He's having so much fun. You can tell. <laughs> it's just a. I mean, I'm I like him in this. I just you know, it's unfortunate that he's in the forgotten episode because people forget that he was on Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And very recently, when the movie news came out, um, he which we talked about by the way, in case you didn't notice, um. The uh, he was he tweeted. This is nonsense that the BBC is doing this. By the way, everyone who's saying I should be the Doctor, no, I did Doctor Who. Back off. I t- <laughs> I died I at it. the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I loved him saying that. Yeah, so much. I did it. I died, and that was the end of my Doctor Who career. Oh. <laughs> uh. It was good. Yeah, was good. yeah, good times, good times, and yeah, he was excellent in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it makes me want them to retroactively make him the master. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> because he yeah. could totally be. He's even got a goatee. Yeah, 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 and he's got the smile. And oh, I, I would, yeah, I would totally buy that. Yeah, yeah, I really, would. I would too. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> Uh, never mind the fact that they they obviously don't know each other in this episode. Whatever they can, <laughs> they can f- loophole their way out of that. It's fine. Um, yeah, he was, you know, I mean, just chameleon arch. Yeah, there you go. Well, Fog no, watch. you know, like he was the he's actually the incarnation after the one at the end of time, and when he went through the hole, they induced his regeneration and erased his memory. Boom. <laughs> the master lives as Simon Pegg. Yeah. On Doctor yeah. Who and in all of our hearts. Working for the Daleks like you did in Frontier in Space. Yeah. Woo. See? Yeah. See? There you See? go. There you go. We could write Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Just in, it would at least. Just in an effort sense. to bring him back. <laughs> <laughs> we like walk into the BBC office. Hey, guys. So, what's your pitch? All right. Well, get this. We are bringing back Simon Pegg. <laughs> That's our pitch. That's the whole pitch. And we just sit there in silence for the next five minutes, just like, huh? 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 <laughs> we drew up a diagram with arrows pointing to how the continuity works. <laughs> but like we don't explain black... it. We don't explain it. We just have the we just have it up and it's just arrows and pictures. <laughs> and we're just like, like we doctors... think we we think this speaks for itself. They're like, we don't, I don't think it does. It's like Doc Brown's blackboard in Back to the Future Part 2. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're drawing tangents, and, and we're like, it skews into this tangent, and it's, oh, gosh. Uh, for the longest time, actually, confession, I didn't realize that that said A in 1985 for alternate. I was just like, what's that symbol? Is that a secret thing? <laughs> I just, because it it's such a sloppy A if you go and watch it again. It is not a good looking A. It's not. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a secret symbol. It is. It's the, it's a witchcraft thing. Back <laughs> to the Future Part 4. Turns out they weren't traveling through time. <laughs> Doc Brown's just a witch. <laughs> there is the and, turn you never expected. And Einstein is really just his familiar. <laughs> if you take the flux capacitor down, there's like a pentagram. <laughs> Mr. Strickland wasn't a big fan because Mr. Strickland's been fighting the witches all his yeah. life. <laughs> he's been, he's a family of witch hunters, <laughs> and they call they call witches slackers. <laughs> and in Back to the Future Part Three, when you see Strickland and his grandpa, they just came back from a witch hunt. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Doc Brown's train runs on babies. <laughs> His babies. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Because <laughs> what they didn't tell you is that there were, uh, besides Jules and Vern, there were also H.G. and Wells. <laughs> but they got they got eight already. So. He sacrificed them. 
<laughs> he wasn't a big H.G. Wells fan anyways. He saved uh, the best for last. Here's, here's my question, and this is totally off topic, but here's my question. <laughs> How the hell did he build a flux capacitor in the Old West? <laughs> Why doesn't anybody know. ask that question? <laughs> I mean, seriously. He literally goes, it runs on steam. How did you get it to run on steam? That doesn't make any sense. That sounds like it would be such a hardcore conversion, because going from nuclear power to Mr. Fusion is one thing. Going from nuclear power to steam powered is something else entirely. Makes Doc no Brown sense. is a goddamn genius. No, he's a witch. Jeez. He's a witch. <laughs> <laughs> he's a witch, and it runs <laughs> off the steam of burning babies. Oh god. Oh god. That's my that's my pitch for Back to the Future Part 4. You walk in. Hey, so here's my thing. Doc Brown, he's actually a witch. <laughs> he's actually a witch. Oh my god. Oh, oh. yeah. So, oh. uh the internet. You're on it. Where can people I am on Where it. can people find you on this thing? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Gungadin. You can also find me on my alternate Twitter, Twitter account. Not Twitter account. <laughs> Twitter account. GD commentary, where I'm a quitter. Um, Freudian, where I slip. Lived, Freudian slip. <laughs> Freudian slip. Um, uh, where I live tweet things. I don't know what I'm going to be live tweeting. It'll probably be something good. Probably be Sunday track. I don't know. Uh, we have actually a good surprise coming up. Uh, we got delayed this week. Thanksgiving, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, so, you know, this upcoming weekend, December 4th, we're going to be talking about Galileo 7 on Sunday track. Uh, but I'm thinking. Uh, the week after that, we talked about it off mic, and I think we're going to do a double feature the, uh, what is that, the 14th? Uh-huh. Or no, if it's the 4th, it's the 11th. On the 11th, I think we're going to do a double feature Sunday trek where we're going to do um, the Squire of Gothos, which is supposed to be excellent, and Arena, which I know is excellent. Um, so that's going to be two hours of live tweeting madness. So if you're interested, follow me, GD Commentary. For that and updates and all that gorgeousness. Uh, hashtag Sunday Trek, my friends. Uh, you can also find me at my Doctor Who blog, uh, classicalgallifrey.blogspot.com. Last week we talked about Four to Doomsday, which was an interesting sort of discussion place where I talked about how ridiculous Monarch is. Um, this week it's my 100th blog, um, so I'm in the middle of writing uh, The Talents of Wang Chiang, which is one of my all-time favorite Doctor Who stories. Um, because I deserve it, and I've gone through a year of really weak stories, so there's that. Um, so, so look for that. It's a good time. I'm talking about a bunch of cool things. It also reminds me of something that I completely forgot to do, which I'll mention very quickly, uh, about the long game. Uh, there's some really good stuff uh, about the Doctor solving a mystery. I love whenever the Doctor gets involved in a mystery. I like that. Me too. Something... Yeah, that's why I like the long game, I think. Because I was like, oh, he is just sleuthing right now. And nothing gets my gears going more than the Doctor sleuthing. And Towns of Wang Chiang is literally just like six episodes of the Doctor sleuthing. I mean, he's dressed like Sherlock Holmes, for God's sake. Uh, Anyways, (laughs) you're getting there soon. I can't wait. Uh, Scott. What about you? Uh, I'm twitter.com slash scottcorelli and twitter.com slash scottcommentary for all the things that you said earlier that I'm not going to repeat and waste my time. <laughs> um, also, we're both on this show called Movie Night at Geek Show, but not for long. Uh, we are reaching the end of that series, which is ending at the end of this year. Uh, not because we don't love it, but because we don't have time and we're making we're making room for other projects. Um and, uh, Which we'll be announcing in a lo- in a while, but we also have something to satiate the appetite coming up very soon. Yeah, so. we're probably going to announce that next week. Um, yeah. So keep an eye out for that. But listen to Movie Night Geek Show. Listen to our last episodes. This month was Alfred Hitchcock month. We talked about Vertigo, Psycho, Rear Window, and we're talking about North by Northwest this week um, after taking a week off for Thanksgiving. Uh, next week is our final month of the podcast, so we're going all out with uh, with with like all like some of our favorite movies. Um, and I like I chose my favorite director is Edgar Wright, so uh, I chose Hot Fuzz. Uh, speaking of Simon Pegg, uh, for my pick, uh, John loves Robert Rodriguez, so he picked a little known film called Road Racers, which is apparently 
uh, Robert Rodriguez's like second or third film, something like that. Um, really early Robert Rodriguez. Uh, Matt chose The Godfather, and then we uh, chose as a group as our final film uh, The Breakfast Club um, because we all love John Hughes. Because really, what's not to love about John Hughes? Um, so yeah, so there's there's that. Uh, that's that's Movie Night at Geek Show. So check out those last few episodes if you want to hear us talk about movies. And then uh, GeekShowEntertainment.com is the website where you find all this stuff and leave comments and whatnot. Uh, and that's that's about it. That's the game. Next week, uh, it's the Aztecs, right? We're doing the Aztecs, which um. If you're not familiar with it, it's the first Doctor historical story, his sixth story, so like really early days of Hartnell. Mm-hmm. And for all those playing at home, it's on Netflix Instant, so you have no excuses to not watch. I'm it. surprised we're doing uh, First Doctor so soon after the after the Cowboy episode. I don't know. That's just the way it came out. Huh? Interesting. <laughs> I don't know. And then the week after that, it's Kinda, and then we're doing the Time Warrior. You're not going to hear me complain uh, about then... those. No, no, you will not complain about those. You're not going to hear me do it. <laughs> You're going to love the time where I hope. Well, it's 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 a good writer. I hear he's good. And, oh yeah, he's 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 got a he's got a bright future. He does. <laughs> no, dude, I was no, doing the math doesn't. on him again. <laughs> well, I was doing the math on him again, and I was like, damn, he wrote or oversaw 20% of all Doctor Who episodes that have ever been made. That's mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. And almost all of them, quite excellent. Quite, quite excellent. That's what I hear. Yeah, yeah. So, Kinda, Time Warrior at the end of the month, and then, you know, we're talking about the, the Christmas special. But next week, we're going to do the Aztecs, which is uh, quite enjoyable and quite a great historical. So Sweet deal. Awesome. Sweet deal. All right. Uh, that's that, guys. We'll talk to you next week with the Aztecs. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>